Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. And if you have, a, I think it's a yellow piece of paper, you can choose to take some notes. And uh, they say that if you take notes, you learn more. So I hope that you uh, will do that. You will notice that our sermon is entitled, A Two-Question Exam. I remember going back to school, or going to school, I remember back when I went to school. And uh, boy... Some of the tests that we had to take, some of the exams were a little difficult. I would have loved a two-question exam. Well, you've got one this morning. On that piece of paper, if you'd like to look along as I read, the disciples have spent two and a half years in school, and now it's time for their first exam. Two and a half years, and now it's time for their first exam. The exam only has two questions. God the Father already answered the questions, and so did the demons. And you can take a look at their answer. Back there in Mark 1.11 and 5.7, the exam signifies the pinnacle in the Gospel of Mark. And really, there are 16 chapters in Mark, and we're in chapter 8. This is this right smack dab, pretty much in the middle, is uh, the pinnacle of the whole Gospel. Everything before the exam leads to this point, and everything after flows from it. The second question is the most important question any human being will ever answer. Now guess what? You get to take the exam too. You didn't know you were going to come and get a test at church today. Well, you're going to take an exam too. Let's take a look at our Bible passage. It is Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. And so Jesus was just in last week as we Uh, studied uh, in Bethsaida, healing a blind man. And now they are on their way to this village called Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles or so north of Bethsaida and is primarily a Gentile area. And so let's read this and then we'll talk a little bit about the city. Mark chapter 8 verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, and here's question number one of their exam, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Second question, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And in Matthew it says, the son of the living God. And verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That is the reading of God's word. So they are in the area of Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is, like I said, primarily Gentile. And there are numerous pagan idols, pagan gods in this area. It's the center of Baal worship. Baal is the fertility god. And also the Greek god Pan. We get the idea of pantheism, that God is in all creatures. It's, uh, Pan is the god of nature. 
So there's Baal worship, there's Pan worship, and there's also a giant temple in Caesarea Philippi built in honor of Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. And so it's in the midst of this city where gods are born and made, Jesus asks his disciples these two really important questions. And like I said, the first question is, who do people say I am? That's what it says in verse 27. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, the disciples have been with Jesus for about two and a half years. Only about six more months or so, and Jesus goes to the cross. The disciples have heard lots of people talking about Jesus, and so they answer Jesus' question with what they've heard. As they've been wandering around with Jesus those two and a half years, they answer the questions, the question Jesus has with what they have heard. And so if you're taking notes, the first answer that they give is that you are John the Baptist. Some people say that you are John the Baptist. Now, if you remember back when Herod had John the Baptist killed, and after Jesus, his popularity, Herod was a little bit afraid that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. And it talked about that when we studied that back in Mark chapter 6, 14. But some people thought that Jesus was actually John the Baptist back from the dead. Some people, B, said that he was Elijah. Now, according to Malachi 3 and 4, Elijah was to come to earth prior to Messiah's arrival. So it was a natural idea to think that maybe he is Elijah. But Jesus said the prophecy of Elijah was fulfilled, if you remember, in John the Baptist. And that says that in Matthew eleven fourteen. But some people thought, well, maybe he is Elijah. The idea that they didn't know that John the Baptist was actually Elijah fulfilled. Some thought he was Elijah. And then others... One of the prophets, according to our text, verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And if you look at the Matthew uh, text, Matthew also includes Jeremiah, well, one of the prophets. And I found this this past week, there was a kind of bizarre tradition among the Jews at this time that Jeremiah, in anticipation of the Babylonian captivity, realizing what was coming, went to the temple and took the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Kind of a bizarre idea that he, before the Babylonian captivity, went to the temple and took the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. And so Indiana Jones is looking all over for the Ark, and actually Jeremiah, I guess, had it. He took them away and put them somewhere at Mount Nebo. And according to the tradition, before Messiah returned, Jeremiah would return and he would go get the altar of incense and he would go get the ark. And when he recovered the ark, the Messiah would come in his glory. So some people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, some people thought he was Elijah, some people thought he was one of the prophets, maybe even Jeremiah. These are the disciples, these are the possibilities mentioned by the disciples, and I've given you 
uh, if in your notes, a D response, and D is all of the above. So as you take the test, I imagine you are circling, you better be, <laughs> you better be circling D. The correct answer to question one is D. Some people said John the Baptist. Some people said Elijah. Some people said one of the prophets. Maybe Jeremiah. And D, all of the above. That's the correct answer for your two-question exam. The people knew that Jesus was special. I mean, they've been following him for a number of years now. They knew that he was a great teacher. They knew that he could do miraculous things. But the problem was, Jesus did not quite fit the picture that they had of what the Messiah would be. Their picture included a political ruler with military power. And this person, this Messiah, overthrows Rome and destroys Israel's enemies and brings blessing and prosperity and peace to Israel and really the idea here is that the Messiah would elevate the nation of Israel to make it the greatest nation on the earth. And that was their idea about the Messiah. Well, of course, Jesus didn't quite fit that, so they were struggling. Who is this guy? Who do people say that I am? But Jesus, as he's walking along with the disciples, leading them, if you will... But what about you, he asks, who do you say I am? So with this question, the disciples have to decide whether Jesus stands apart from these other men and is truly the Messiah, just without all the wrapping that they thought the Messiah should have. And so Jesus says to them, second question of the exam for them, second question of the exam for us, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter is by now the established spokesperson for the disciples, and he gives the answer. Verse 29, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God it talked about in Matthew. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So I've added a couple of additional possible answers and you will notice as I throw these in that they were popularized by C.S. Lewis many years ago. But one of the answers could be when asked, who do you say that I am? One of the answers could be that Jesus is a liar. That Jesus is a liar. If Jesus knew he was not God, then he was lying. Okay, so Jesus might be a liar. And if he was lying, he's also a humongous hypocrite because he told the people to be honest. So he would, could be a liar, he could be a hypocrite. And to top it off, he would also be tremendously evil because he told people to forsake their religious beliefs and trust him for their eternal destiny. So he could be a liar, he could be a hypocrite, he could be evil. And then if he was lying, he would also be very foolish because he died for that lie. But some people think that Jesus, you know, 
isn't who he said he was, isn't who the disciples say he was, and some people say that he was a liar. And those that are familiar with C.S. Lewis's threefold identity of Christ, a liar, the next one is lunatic. A lunatic. I don't know if you noticed this on September 23rd, just a few days ago, Russian authorities arrested cult leader Visharion. That's his name. That, that, that was the name he took upon himself after he started this cult, this uh, Church of the Last Testament. And uh, Visharion claims that he is Jesus Christ reincarnated. And one of the things he did was he abolished Christmas and replaced it with the date of his first sermon. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's thinking that you're pretty special if you cancel Christmas and exchange it for the date of your first sermon. He's got 4,000 followers. There are others like him that have claimed to be Jesus Christ. You can think of those. Charles Manson. Jim Jones who had everybody in Ghana drink the Kool-Aid, David Koresh in Waco, Texas. The one that I remember, because I was living, well, we just moved from California, but I remember this because uh, this gentleman's followers were from San Diego, not too far from where we used to live. Marshall Applegate, I don't remember if you remember the name, but... His followers all committed suicide on March 26, 1997. And here's the, here's the crazy part. To rendezvous, a rendezvous with a spaceship behind the Bop Comet. I don't know if you remember that. But many years ago, March 26, 1997, in San Diego, California... The followers of Marshall Applegate committed suicide though, so that they could rendezvous with a spaceship behind the Bop Comet. Now, these people are crazy. Right? <laughs> They're crazy. And maybe Jesus was just crazy like all these other people. So you could throw in there, and people do, say that he's a liar. Say that he's a lunatic. Or we could come to the conclusion that Peter did. And if you're taking notes, you are the Christ. Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now this is the second time the word Christ has been used in Mark. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 talks about how the apostle Mark is wanting his followers to know the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 1, 1. That's the first time it's used. And basically Mark starts his gospel out this way. He's writing to Gentile people. And the first seven chapters or so, almost eight chapters, have to do with him proving by his teaching, by his actions, by his healing, by his raising the dead, by his miracles over nature, walking on water, calming the storm, feeding the 4,000, feeding the 5,000, Mark is trying to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the second time is right here. Who do people say I am? You are the Christ. Now, if you hear a lot of 
cuss words using the name of the Lord, many people think that Jesus' last name is Christ. And of course that's not true. The word Christ in the Hebrew means Messiah. And in the Greek is Christos. And both mean, so when we say Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is not his first name and his last name. What we're saying is that the uh, Christ means the anointed one. And so when Peter says you are the Christ, he is saying that you are the anointed one. And by saying you are the anointed one, really he is defining the work of what Christ does. And as Jesus the Christ, he is the prophet, he is the priest, and he is the king. And so Peter, by saying this, is really saying a lot. And if you remember in the Matthew passage, Jesus blesses Peter because of his words and concludes that God intervened to make the confession possible. Because he says, hey, you didn't get this from any ordinary human being. God must have given you this word. And it's true, anyone who claims the name of Christ as Savior is brought to that place by the working of the Holy Spirit. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was working in your heart and in your life, and you became a Christ follower by means of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, and John 6, 44. And then Jesus warns the disciples not to tell anyone about him. And that's been happening all through the gospel. He doesn't want a whole bunch of, I mean, a whole bunch of people already know, but he doesn't really want the authorities to know because some really important things need to happen. Some really important things need to happen. And that's what our next text that we're going to read here talks about. So Mark chapter 8, we read verse 27 to 30. Now we're going to read 30 through 33, 31 to 33, all right? Some important things need to happen after this confession. And if you're taking notes, you might want to take a peek there because it says, with the correct answer about the person, Peter got it right about the person, there is still confusion about the plan. There is still confusion about the plan. And Jesus goes on here and explains the plan. Here's the plan. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. <laughs> Look at this. He spoke plainly about this, and because Peter just sometimes doesn't maybe listen or is impetuous. It says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan, he said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. 
Peter goes really quick from hero to villain, if you're taking notes. Peter says, hey, we're not going to allow this to happen. There's no way. And he must not have even heard the very end of what Jesus was trying to say, that after he's dead, three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. Peter says, no way, man. We're not going to let this happen. And you'll remember all the way into the garden. Peter says, no way, man. And when they come to arrest Jesus, what does he do? He grabs that uh, soldier's sword and chops off that guy's ear. No way, man. This is not going to happen to you. And Peter goes from hero who says, you are the Christ, to now God is, or Jesus is calling him Satan. And I think Jesus must remember the wilderness temptations where Satan tries to get Jesus to give up the way of the cross. Remember? You don't have to do all that if you just do this. You don't have to go through that agony and that pain if you'll just do this. And so I I do think it's interesting. It says in verse 33, But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, so he wants his disciples to know that, you know, this, this is just not a conversation now between Peter and Jesus. He wants his whole disciples to know that this is not the way. And it says he rebuked Peter. Jesus battled Satan in the wilderness, and he's not about to battle Peter, so he puts him in his place. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, thankfully, well, Peter gets it. If you take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, and chapter 2, you'll see in Peter's writings here, that he gets it, he gets it. First Peter two twenty three through twenty five. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter got it. Peter got it at the end. He understood that all of this had to take place. The question that I have for you is this. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life that you got it right? What are your answers to the most important two-question exam? The first question for you is, who do people you know believe Jesus to be? Who do people you know believe Jesus to be? Now, You know, you might say, well, I just hang around Christians, so they all know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hopefully, you have some friends, the Bible says we ought to, we should, who do not yet know Him. And you can invite those friends to come and see. Remember, uh, uh, the angels told uh, told the shepherds to go to Bethlehem and see... And then after that, he told them to go and tell. Same thing at the resurrection. The angel says, come and see that the tomb is empty and then go and tell the people that he is risen. 
So who do people you know believe Jesus to be? Hopefully you have some friends who do not yet know him. You can invite them to come and see. And then the most important question every human being must answer, we already said that, who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? Hopefully if you took the test, if you took the exam, you circled number question C, or answer C, I should say. You can't put Jesus on a shelf and call him a great moral teacher. You know, a lot of people say, well, he was just a good guy. He was just a good guy. You know, he, he said some wonderful things. You can't put Jesus on a shelf and call him a great moral teacher if he was a liar or a lunatic. And here's the most important thing about the, the question. Your choice will affect your residency for all eternity. I got that to kind of rhyme. Your choice will affect your residency for all eternity. And that's why I hope that you have circled C on your exam. And if you have circled C then next week's message is for you. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we've circled C. At least I hope we have. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Bible says, after the resurrection, you acceded You ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down because your work was completed. You died on a cross. You rose from the dead. You died for our sins and you rose to new life. And when we become your followers, we die to sin and we raise to new life. We are new creatures, new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, the Bible says. So I pray that everyone in this room and next next door will be able to circle number C or letter C and that they know in their heart that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God and that they would choose to follow you the rest of their lives. And if somebody doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Holy Spirit has been drawing you. Today may be the day that you invite Jesus in. Lord, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for our time with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.